Well, what an honor it is to be with you today. My name is Brandon, and uh, for the last few weeks, I've been able to work alongside some really incredible people. Josh, who just prayed, Kara in the back, um, part of the Bayou City Relief Team, and so we've been helping Houston get home. So thank you guys for the way that you help serve in that capacity and helping Houston get back into their houses. Uh, it's been really cool to see that happen, and just a special thanks to Curtis for allowing me to come and uh, share the word of God with you. It's a really a cool honor um, to be able to stand up here and speak with you guys. And so thank you for having me. Um, oftentimes when somebody comes that maybe you don't really know, because I'm, I'm guessing most of you don't really know me, uh, they like to share a little bit about their family and kind of their story. So uh, I have a seven-year-old. Um, I know you're thinking, he's so young. I'm 34. Um, now I've got a seven-year-old. He's great. Um, he's, he's at that stage where he, he likes to wrestle, but he's still pretty sweet. And so he'll get into bed with me and we'll fall asleep. And he's like me in the sense that he has a sweet tooth. And, and so uh, a few months ago, I took him to Steel City Pops, uh, which is basically the most delicious popsicle you'll ever have and the most expensive popsicle uh, you'll ever have. And so I decided, you know, I'm just going to get the flavor that I want because it's $3 a popsicle and then he can have the rest. And so this is a picture of him at his first Steel City Pop experience. (laughs) It's just like his dad. So that's my seven-year-old. His name is Max. And uh, sometimes he comes to the the office with me. We love him. Um, But you didn't come to hear about Max. So why don't you go ahead and get your Bible open. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verse 14. And we've been in this series called Hebrews and just walking through this, this book of the Bible. Uh, and it's been really great just to see Jesus and his story uh, exposed through the scriptures here. And, and what we're going to get into today, I think, is going to be helpful and practical uh, for all of our lives. And so in verse 14, uh, the author of Hebrews, he, he says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood children being us, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, a real enemy, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is God's word. Let me pray for us uh, this morning. Father, thank you so much for another opportunity to come into this place, openly worship you, acknowledge you, and fall in love with you. And so my prayer is that as this word is living and active, it would be alive and active in each one of us and transform us more into the likeness and the image of your son, Jesus, and that we would go into this world and show them Jesus so that they may love Jesus and glorify him. And so we love you and thank you, and we appreciate so much the fall weather on its way. Amen. (laughs) Amen, right? Like, come on, about time. Um, it's about this time of the year that I get hit with the travel bug. Uh, I, I don't know if you get hit with it, but for me, there's something about this time, the season of fall, that I, I just want to get out of Houston. I, I want to go somewhere where the leaves are changed and there's cool temperatures and I can actually wear the jackets that are hanging in my closet 
And, and for me specifically, what that place looks like is the city of New York. Um, I have a fascination with New York City. I love it. I love the smells. Uh, I love the food. Uh, I love walking the streets with a cup of coffee. Uh, I, I just love the busyness, the hustle of it, uh, Central Park, all of it. And, and I like movies about New York, right? If there's a movie about New York, I'm going to buy a ticket and go see it. If there's anything to do with New York, I, I'm kind of about that. But here's, here's what I like. I like New York, but I don't like getting there. Like, I don't like packing. Uh, I don't like the few days leading up to it. Uh, I don't like going to the airport. And some people are like, I love the airport. I get to people watch. It's so fascinating. I'm like, no, I'd rather be at home or in New York. And I don't like the plane. Uh, the plane for me is like, I'm, I like people. I love people. Um, that's why, you know, you do ministry because you love people. Uh, but when I'm on a plane, I don't want to be around people. Uh, like I take the middle seat so nobody sits next to me. And then usually I put on my headphones because here's what I know about me and planes. I fall asleep every time. I know some of us, we get on planes, we've got our laptops open and we're super productive and we're reading books because we're super intellectual, but I'm just super lazy, okay? And so when I get on a plane, I just wanna fall asleep because here's what I know. I love the destination. I just don't like the journey getting there. I love being in New York and everything about New York, but the process to get to New York is not my favorite. And scripture says for us that this life that we live as believers, as Christians, it's a race. And at the end of this race is this thing called eternal life. And I think if we were to take a poll in the room today, or even just in Christianity in general, most of us would have to say, you know what? I really haven't been actively excited about eternal life. It's not something that I've really thought about this week. It's not really something that's been on my radar. Now, I know it's there, and, and, and one day we're going to be there, but, you know, I, I'm not really that actively excited. And, and I think the reason that's true is, be, is this, where we are and where we're going, eternal life, the fullness of it, is this speed bump called death. And, and if we're really honest, we would say, you know what, I, I, I just choose not to think about it. I'm, I'm in this race and I'm just trying to survive in this race, like let alone win it. I'm just trying to run it. I'm trying to stay within the bounds of it. I'm trying to make sure I'm not disqualified by doing something that I'm not supposed to. And so I wanna make sure that my life lines up with what it's supposed to look like because I'm just so busy doing life that I don't even have think, time to think about eternal life. And the author of Hebrews, he he brings out this struggle. He brings out this emotional and spiritual tension. And he frames it in these words, the fear of death and wrestling with temptation. And not only does he bring about this tension, but he also brings about our main idea today. And that's this, that, that Jesus leads us out of fear of death and temptation. That Jesus came into our story to deliver us from the consequence of sin, death, and the struggle to sin, temptation. And so if we go back to verse 14, it says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Now I have a cardinal rule usually, and that is no Christmas until after Thanksgiving. Um, I don't care what the stores decide. I don't care what the uh, marketing uh, side of life decides. Like for me, it is no Christmas until after Thanksgiving. Like I want my holidays to be my holidays, but I broke, I broke my cardinal rule this year. 
And it was like in the middle of August and I've got my windows down because the AC in my truck doesn't work and like I'm blaring jingle bells, you know? And I'm just like driving in the heat of summer, just singing these Christmas carols. People are pulling up next to me and they're like, this dude's insane. And I, I'm just, I'm loving that Christmas spirit, right? And so I don't know what your family traditions look like. Uh, for me, the last few years, it's been going to River Oaks and, and walking around that neighborhood and looking at the lights. Uh, it go, we go to my sister's house every year. So they've got the tree because my, my parents have disowned the tree of Christmas. And so my, my sister now has the tree. And so we go to her house and we do all the gifts. And I love, I love the expectation of Christmas and the feel of it. it it's, a, it's this great time to be with family and friends and to, and to think about just all the things in life that are worth celebrating. And in the middle of our traditions, we can simply lose the miraculous grace of the incarnation. It's really easy to lose just how miraculous it was that Jesus came into our world. In fact, over a period of a thousand years in the Old Testament, it's written. And through that time, hundreds of years before Christ has even come, it tells about 300 prophecies of the Messiah's coming. The prophet Isaiah says that he would be born of a virgin, and he was. The prophet Micah said he would be born in the city of Bethlehem, and he was. And the prophet Hosea said that he would be called out of Egypt, and he was. And the miracle of the grace of the incarnation the miracle of the story of Jesus is that he was woven throughout history and he walked into our story. That the purpose and the plans of God from the beginning of the foundations of the world, that he, he planned this incarnation moment and he wove Jesus into the history of man so he could walk into our story. It's, it's miraculous. It's incredible. It's a story of grace and and really, it's a story of our Savior, of our God. Every other religion says, here's what you need to do in order to achieve that end prize, that eternal life, whether it's reincarnation or a spirit of enlightenment, or whether it's just staying within the bounds of the, the laws of the day in order to earn your favor with the God you serve. You've got to do, you've got to perform, you've got to gain, you've got to become, you've got to, you've got to do so much to get all of this. And Jesus said, hey, I'm going to give all of me so you can have all I have. And so instead of us trying to fight and crawl and, and, and war our way, Jesus said, man, I, I'm going to bridge the chasm between man and God, and I'm going to come. And it's a miracle, and it's the story of Jesus coming in to our story. But not only does Jesus come into our story, but he wades into our mess. And so in verse 17, it reads, and it says, therefore, he had to like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. I have some great friends and uh, she's awesome uh, because she cuts hair and she's great at it. And she does these things. Her name's Crystal. And so Crystal and James are a couple friend of mine. And, and so there are, uh, are nights during the week where they open up their home and we'll go in. And she's like this professional stylist. And so it's kind of like a haircut party, if you will. Like we go get our haircut and hang out with our friends. It's like the best of both worlds. And she just bought some of this lighting equipment. And so she's setting it up so she can take pictures of the subjects after they get their haircut so people can see how great and talented um, the skill that God's given her is. And 
And so in the middle of just trying to figure out what's the best lighting, how do we do this photography thing, uh, she hands me her daughter's uh, tablet, her daughter's iPad. She said, hey, can you, can you Google something about lighting? And so I, I take her four-year-old's tablet and I'm sitting there, I'm holding it, and I'm trying to just unlock it, right? But there's so much like grime and ickiness, you know, because it's a four-year-old, right? And so they're playing in mud or whatever, and they're touching the screen, and they have no care about washing their hands before. Uh, There's no thought about, I probably shouldn't put my whole hand in my mouth and then touch the iPad screen. And so like, I'm trying to scroll and search through this, and all I can think about is, oh my gosh, let me not catch anything right now. Like, it is, it's grimy. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Do I wash my hands? Do I just burn my hands off? Like, what am I supposed to, like, what am I supposed to do in this moment? Because it's a, it's a four-year-old and they're not thinking of that. And, and Jesus, when he wades into our story, he wades into our mess. He walks in and he wades through. In the, in the book of John chapter five, there's this telling of Jesus and he's walking to Jerusalem. And on his way, he stops by this place called the Pool of Bethesda. Now, it might sound like a good like summer spot, but it's not. Like this isn't a vacation place. Tourists aren't stopping by. People aren't making detours in order to take their kid to see this pool. In fact, around this pool is nothing but sick and lame and paralyzed and what the Bible would say, some invalids. And Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, he purposefully stops here. Because even though everybody says it's untouchable, don't go near it, you don't wanna be a part of that, Jesus, he walks into the mess of humanity and he says, you might not want it, but I do. And you may have walked in here and you may have just a mess of a life right now or a mess of a week or even a mess of a morning. And Jesus says, I am not afraid to go into your mess. I'm not afraid to walk into your life and deal with the mess of your drama and your family and your mistakes and your ill-wise decisions and all of these things that you feel disqualify you. I am willing and ready to walk into the mess and to look you in the eye and say, I am here. So not only does Jesus walk into our story, but he wades into our mess and he becomes for us a high priest. Now, the audience of the day, the Jewish people, they had understood the importance of having a high priest because the high priest was the one who, who walked into the tent, into the Holy of Holies, and he made atonement for the nation. He was their representative on behalf of the people of Israel. And he would stand before the throne or the, the room and where God came and visited and he would make sacrifice and make atonement for the sin of the nation. And scripture says that for us, Jesus is our high priest. That he walked into that moment for us and he represented every person in this room. And he said, I will walk in and represent the human race. I will stand on their behalf. And not only does he represent us before God the Father, but he also is our sacrifice. The scripture says he's our propitiation, which means that he said, all of the wrath and anger that you have towards sin, put it on me. Not only will I represent them as their high priest, but I will become for them the sacrifice that they need. Do away with the bulls and the goats and the lambs and the rams. And and you don't need that anymore because it's not sufficient. But I will step in in full sufficiency and sacrifice my life on their behalf so they can have the fullness of you. And so he walks into our story and he wades into our mess and he stands before the throne of God and he is our high priest and he is our sacrifice. And where grace is, it's getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And he says, pour that wrath on me, I'll absorb it. 
so that they don't have to deal with it. This is the miracle of the story of Jesus. And in that moment where he absorbs the wrath of God and in that moment where he makes atonement for our sin and in that moment where he becomes our high priest and our sacrifice, his mercy is most exposed. He also, he defeats a real enemy. And it says in verse uh, 14, it says that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You know, life isn't short of, of fears. Um, I, I don't know what maybe your particular fears are. Maybe you have a fear of spiders or a, a fear of public speaking. Maybe you're like me and you kind of are afraid of deep, dark water, you know, uh, we're all afraid of Galveston, okay? We're just all afraid of Galveston. But I'm talking about when you go to an actual ocean and you can see the bottom of the ocean floor and then all of a sudden it disappears. Like for me in that moment, I, I just freak out. Uh, I don't know what's beneath me. Maybe I've seen too many movies. I don't know if a shark or some kind of random, like a tentacle or something's gonna pull me down. Like, I don't know, right? But here's what I do know, that most of our fears are are never going to be realized. I, I think the statistic is like 80 to 90% of the things that we fear actually never happen. But I think that's why the fear of death is so strong because it's the one fear that's certain. It's the one fear that everybody in this room has either dealt with or will deal with or know someone who has dealt with it. Because death is this real enemy. Death is this real thing that no matter how much we fight against it, it's a fact. It is, it is coming. That there is this real enemy and the consequence of a real sin is this thing called, called death. And for most of us, our fear comes that we don't really have a knowledge or a confidence on what happens after death. And so though we, we, we speculate and we think, yeah, I know, okay, eternal life and there, there's this grand prize at the end. Some of us are still like, but is it? I just don't know. I mean, we've never walked through that road. We've never had to go through that doorway. And, and I was talking to a lady last night and she was telling me about her mom and how she's in hospice and she's been a believer for all of her life and she's loved the Lord and she's beginning to have these questions like, but, but will it be? I believed it all my life, but will I experience? Because we, sometimes we just, we don't have a confidence. And, and because we don't have a confidence, sometimes we become a slave to now. Because I don't know what's gonna happen then, I, I'll invest so much in now and I'll toil for, for now and I'll work for now and I'll invest in now and I'll do everything I can to accumulate in the now because I don't really have a, a sure confidence in then. I'm just gonna do everything I can now to have the, the greatest life or the perfect life or, and so we work and we struggle and we toil. And so when Jesus stood in that moment as our high priest and he, and he became our sacrifice, he, Bible says that through death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death. That he came and he destroyed. And so all of those fears that we have that are circulating about the unknown and the what is, and it is it real. Jesus said, man, I came in and I destroyed the power of death. And here's the power of death. The power of death is sin. 
Scripture in Revelation says that we have a real enemy, and he's mentioned here in Hebrews called the devil. And that day and night, he goes before the throne room of God, and he accuses us. And he's saying, hey, hey, remember when he did this? Hey, remember that moment when he messed up? And remember that mistake that he made on that day in that particular moment? Remember that? And he's constantly throwing accusations about us to God. And he's constantly tossing them up and saying, remember, remember. And in that moment, all he wants is just that your sin would be ever present before the Father. But if we flip to Colossians, it says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh that God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And then he set aside it, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame. And so here's what the enemy's doing. He's, he's accusing and he's throwing up accusations and he's saying, remember, and the whole time he's like, remember that time? And Jesus said, I got that. That, that one's on me, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, but remember in that moment when they made that most heartbreaking mistake? Yeah, I've got that one too, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, but, but, but God, what about this dark place? Yeah, I, I, I'll take that one, I'll own it, it's on me. And as he accuses, Jesus has stripped him of the power and the authority and he's disarmed him because he's nailed the record of our debt to the cross. And so every accusation that flies towards us, Jesus said, I've, I've got that, I'll own that, it's on me. And they have no authority and they have no weight because Jesus has taken care. And so when we look at death, he's destroyed it because he has conquered the consequence of our sin because he became sin for us. And then he says, and not only did he destroy, but he delivers. And so not only does he come and he conquers over, but he also delivers us too. So he delivers us too, and he delivers us through fear of death, who we were subject to, who we were lifelong slaves to. He delivers us from that. And so not only does he say, hey, I, I've nailed this, this record, but he says, hey, you, and you, you don't have to fear. You don't, you don't have to fear death because it is a fact, but you don't have to fear it. Is death real? Yes. Is it a fact? Yes. Is it, is it a result of a broken world? Yes. But you don't have to fear it because I have conquered it and I have given you in its place of fear, a hope, a tangible hope that says I am with you and I will be with you from now and in through eternity. So as he disarms the power of sin and the accusations of our sin and he takes them upon himself, he delivers us and he frees us from feeling like we have to be slaves in this life, fearing the constant threat of will we, can he, is his love really that good? And he's saying the cross is evident of the goodness of my love. And if you will just lean and trust and hope that it is true, you don't have to walk this life chained and shackled to your fears because I've conquered them. I've conquered them. And so here's what I would say to that lady about her mom in hospice. Hey, you can look her in the eye and say, hey, it's okay to question. It's okay to question. But let me give you some assurance. It's true. He's here. That eternal at prize, that life, it's, it's true. He's with you. Not only does he give us the ability to have conquered, but 
for those of us in Christ, when we go through this moment, when, when death happens in our lives, he, he says, you know, you can mourn, but you don't mourn like the, the world. When fear and sorrow that death brings hits life, you don't have to deal with it the way the rest of the world does. He says, you can have hope in the middle of it. And if you've ever lost a loved one, that hope is what we cling to. And he says, look, here's, as believers, we, we hope and we cling to that reality that he is better. And in verse 18, it says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted. So not only does Jesus conquer our sin, which is death, but he, he also helps us through that real present struggle to sin, which is temptation. In Matthew chapter four, uh, the, Jesus has been baptized and uh, the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so before he's really done anything, any miracles or any works, the, the father looks and says, this is my son. And he, he affirms him. And then Bible says that the spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. And so he goes through this temptation moment. And sometimes I think when we read that, when we read the temptation of Jesus, some of us were like, yes, okay. You know, it's Jesus. <laughs> I mean, was he really tempted? You know, like, come on, it's Jesus. I, I mean, you just told us that, you know, over a period of a thousand years and the prophecies that before the foundations of the world and the planning and the process, like, so was he really in a temptation moment gonna fail? I mean, <laughs> And so we, we, we kind of, we, we don't ever say that out loud, but sometimes we think it through the way we live life. And when temptations hit, the, the way that we deal with them and the way that we keep them internally and the way that we fail to present them before God as if he could handle the temptation because we don't think he understands the temptation because he's Jesus. But I, I think it's really interesting that when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he says, lead them not into temptation. But Jesus was led into temptation. And yet he teaches his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation. I, I wonder and submit to you today that it may just be that Jesus has felt the weight and pressure of temptation more than any of us. That in those moments in the wilderness, hungry and alone, that when the enemy came to, to feed off of his weakness and, and question his identity and try to get him to compromise his integrity, that in that moment, Jesus, more than anyone in this room, has ever faced the weight and pressure of temptation. So much so, he would teach his disciples to pray, lead me not, because he knows what it's like. And he understands what it's like. And he's been where you've been in the moments where your identity has been questioned and your integrity is trying to be compromised and all the decisions that hit you that when you're weak and you're alone and you're isolated and you feel like nobody's invited you to the party and that nobody gets you. And why do they have all the good stuff and I'm scrounging about just to make ends meet? And, and why do they seem to have the perfect life on Instagram when my life just seems to be broken and falling apart? I can't keep a job. I can't keep a relationship. My kids are crazy, you know? In all of these moments, we just feel isolated, isolated, isolated. And the enemy, like a prowling and a roaring lion, he comes limping his way over because he's already been defeated, but, but you don't have confidence in that yet. And so he tries to feed off of your lack of confidence. And he says, yeah, you're alone. Nobody cares. 
can you believe that they have all that and you're just, God must really not be a provider. You must not really be a child of them. I mean, they're a child of them. Look at how blessed they are. You, and he tries to feed off of these moments or maybe it's in those moments where we have unmet needs and and maybe our spouse isn't showing us the attention that they once used to and all of a sudden now, the emotional need of life isn't being met and somebody's been kind to us and he comes in and says, you made a mistake. This wasn't the right person for you. You chose poorly. But this person can listen to how they speak and how they affirm and how they cherish you. Maybe they're the person in your life. Or or maybe it's just, it says it in this moment that he comes and he, he tempts. And so I, I submit that Jesus more than anybody knows what it's like to go through those. But, but here's the beautiful part. Is it's not enough that he knows what it's like to go, but he also knows what it's like to go beyond. That, that he didn't die in the desert. Like that wasn't the moment of, of his sacrifice for us. Like he made it through and the way he made it through was because his intimate relationship with the father was so tight that no lie, no foul word of the enemy could could pry its way through that relationship because here's what he knew. He knew who he was and he knows what he was called to do. He knew I'm the son of my father and I know why I've been on this earth. And if we would have confidence in knowing that we are children of the most high and we have a calling and a purpose that he has specifically designed for each and every one of us, then when temptation comes, we can remind ourselves, wait, 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 that doesn't even line up with who God's called me to be. That is a compromise. That is not a commitment. It's not the covenant that I decided to walk into. And so I'm not, uh, you can have that one. Get the behind me, right? Get it, get out. And he, he reminds him, and he, he speaks the scriptures, he speaks the truth, he speaks the word because that's how intimacy grows. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. So the intimacy of our, the intimacy of our relationship with God can never be had without the word of God. The scripture, the truth, the living and active weapon in our hand. So he says at the end of 18 that he is able to help those being tempted. He's able. I love that. He could, he might, if he happens to think about it, like he's able. And here are some scriptures to help encourage you that he's able. In Romans 8, 34, it says that he intercedes for us. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says that, that we are always given a way of escape. In Philippians, he says that our will can become more aligned with God's will. And then Ephesians 6, it says that he's given us this armor and it can quench and extinguish all the fiery darts that he tries to toss our way. And so look, when we're tempted, we shouldn't preach, do better messages. Well, I've just got to pray more and I've got to be more involved in my community group. And man, I just got to open up the scripture and have the best devotional life because that one here Bible, I'm like 30 days behind. And, and he said, don't preach to yourself a do better message. Just behold God. Behold him, Right? Don't, don't strive and struggle and perform because he's not asking that. In fact, what he's asking is that if you and I would behold Jesus, that we would become more like him. 
Because what you focus on, you often become like. And if we could just behold Jesus in his glory and remind ourselves he's conquered sin and he's, he's given us a way through the struggle of sin and to sin that, that I can become more and more like Christ. So it's not about your performance. It's not about your behavior. It's just about your beholding him. It's putting him in the right place of your life. It's allowing him to be God as he is God. And he says that he's able. And so, so this morning, I, I don't know what, what the practical application you're looking for from me is. I, I don't know like the steps are in order for you to obtain all of this, but here's what I do know. Fear of death. He's conquered it. Yeah, death is a fact, but the fear of it, nah. He's conquered the consequence of our sin. It's defeated. And he's delivered us. He's delivered us. He's delivered you and I. And so the, the temptation to sin, the struggle that we go through to sin, guess what? He's, he's made a way. And so here's, I think, that practical application that when these realities hit us, when the reality of life and the mourning and the sorrow of life hit us, that we would say, I don't understand it and I don't get it and I don't know why it happened and I, and I don't understand, but I can hope in him. And when the temptations are thrown our way and they're crouching at the door, we can say, that's not who he's called me to be. That's not my identity. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna press on towards the prize. And I think the psalmist says it best. Lead me not to temptation by going through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. I will not fear for you are with me. And he says, lead as you walk me through the valley. Through is the key word. As you walk me through that valley, I don't have to fear why, because you're with me. And I wanna encourage you guys today I don't know what your week has looked like. I don't, I don't know what the month has been. I don't know what the past few years have brought. But here's what I know without a shadow of a doubt, despite knowing your story intimately, is that he's with you. He's with you. He's with you in the good and the bad and the dark and the sad. He's with you in your highs and your lows. He's with you. And that as you walk through some of the lowest valleys, guess what? He's with you. And as the temptations grow louder and louder, he's with you. And as life seems to be more daunting, guess what? He's with you. And as you seem to be more of a failure in your own eyes, guess what? He's with you. And when the morning, because of the realities of death, hits you, guess what? He's with you. And when you're looking at death in the face, guess what? He's with you. And that the truth of the good news is that he's with us and he walks with us and he talks with us and he's near to us and he weeps with us and he laughs with us. He is with us. And so here's the deal, behold him, he's with you and me. And he loves us so much that he went to a cross and he, he died a brutal death so that sin could be conquered and you could have a way because he's able and he's with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, which is true. We thank you that we have a way through the valley. We also have a way of it. We thank you, Jesus, that you are good and that your word is for us and that you are with us. And I pray for every person here that they would just be reminded of the power of your name, what you've done, who you are for them. And that this word, which is living and active, would be alive in us. 
In Jesus' name.